I want to read uh, to you from Ezekiel chapter 47. If you've got a Bible and you want to turn to it, um, uh, feel free. Um, if not, don't worry, I'll, I'll read it to you. Um, Ezekiel chapter 47, we're going to read the first 12 verses. Um, just as you turn to it, let me give you a little bit of context for this passage. I think it's really important, the context for it, because we'll be referring to it in a moment. But Ezekiel, it's important that you know, is prophesying. He's a prophet, and he's prophesying in a time when his, um, Jerusalem is in exile. Okay, And so they've been taken off, cap- captured by um, the Babylonians, and they're in in, uh, in Babylon, and um, Ezekiel is given uh, a vision, and it's uh, in some ways it's a bit of a complex book, Ezekiel, because there's all sorts of like wonderful and almost weird heavenly visions, but um, lots, lots and lots of beauty in it. Um, but he's in the previous chapters to this particular chapter, chapter 47. In the previous chapters, he's been given a, a picture and a vision of what the, the temple is going to look like and how the temple is going to be restored. And obviously the people of Jerus- the, the Jerusalem, the Israelites, they're now in Babylon. Jerusalem has been razed to the ground. It's been totally destroyed. The temple has probably pretty much been desecrated as well. There are people living in a foreign land, uh, which is why we um, still kind of ha- have that you know, by the rivers of Babylon in our, in our discos, you know. Um, and, uh, but that's what was going on. And the people are weeping, wondering how they can sing the, the, the Lord's song in a foreign land. And it's into that context that Ezekiel has this vision of the temple being restored and the glory of God returning to the temple. And, uh, and so after that has happened in the previous chapters, 45 or 46 or whatever, we come into 47 and it tells us these words. The man who was the angel... Brought me back to the top, to the entrance to the temple, and I saw water coming from under the threshold of the temple toward the east, for the temple faced east. And the water was coming down from the, under the south side of the temple, south of the altar. He then brought me out through the north gate and led me through the outside to the outer gate facing east, and the water was trickling. Snooked that the water was trickling from the south side. And as the man went eastward with a measuring land line in his hand, he measured off a thousand cubits. Okay? Now, apparently, a cubit is the length from your elbow to the tip of your finger. Okay? That's a cubit. Okay? And there was a thousand cubits. So that's roughly, apparently, they say like 1,700 feet or about 500 meters, just over 500 meters. So he goes 500 meters with a measuring line in his hand following the kind of flow of this river. And when he gets like 500 meters or more, he realizes the water was ankle deep. And then he measured off another 500 meters and he led me through water that was knee deep. And then he measured off another thousand and cubits and led me through water that was up to my waist. And he measured off another thousand, but now it was a river that I could not cross because the water had risen and was deep enough to swim in, a river that no one could cross. And he asked me, just hear these words today to your own heart. And he asked me, son of man, do you see this? Do you see this? Do you see this? Take notice. And then he led me to the bank of the river. And when I arrived there, 
I saw a great number of trees on each side of the river. And he said to me, this water flows towards the eastern region and goes down into the Araba, where it enters the Dead Sea. And when it empties into the sea, the salty water there becomes fresh. Swarms of living creatures will live there wherever the river flows. There will be large number of fish because this water flows there and makes the salt water fresh. Notice that too. He makes the salt water fresh. So where the river goes, everything will live. Fishermen will stand along the shore from the Engedi to the Eglahim. There will be places for spreading nets. The fish will be of many kinds, like the fish of the med. <laughs> but the swamps and the marshes will not become fresh. They will be left for salt. Fruit trees of all kinds will grow on both banks of the river. Their leaves will not wither, nor will their fruit fail. Every month they will bear fruit because the water from the sanctuary flows to them and their fruit will serve for food and their leaves for healing. May God bless his word. Remember the context, okay? Ezekiel's prophesying, proclaiming this vision in a time when the children of Israel are not in their land, there is no temple. They might never get home. They're struggling to rediscover their identity. They're told that they would have to live there for at least 70 years. We know that through the prophet Jeremiah. And, um, and yet they're trying to rediscover hope because most of their identity and success has been eroded. And uh, yet in the midst of this, Ezekiel sees this strange and beautiful vision. Um, the powerful picture of a river of God representing the life of God, the spirit of God, the presence of God flowing out from the temple. And at the, at the beginning of this river, it's a trickle. We might even say it's imperceptible, right? It's just a trickle. Verse 2 tells us that. But then the man brings them out and they start to measure off the cubits. And every 500 meters, the river is deeper. And it says he led them through the water. I presume that means that they got their feet wet, okay, that they stepped in. If he led them through the water, in order for him to even be able to say it was ankle, knee, and waist deep, he probably had to experience it to know that. Yeah. Ankle deep, you know, like when you like, want to go to the beach and let's go for a paddle. You know, because it's too cold or you don't want to go all in, let's go for... And yet, you know, and sometimes we can think, oh, it was only ankle deep. But ankle deep's great too, isn't it? Like it's a good start. You know, it's joy. You're kicking the water around. Yeah, you're, you're splashing around in those kind of, um, where, the, where the tide comes in, if you think of it like at the beach. But, and then it's, but you're not really committed. To, you're not, in the sense of you're not really fully immersed or submerged. And, and then there's the knee deep. <laughs> Once it gets to the knees, you know, you're a little bit more, well, the trousers are wet now, if you're still wearing them, yeah? It's like, oh, you know, the rest of the afternoon is not going to be just what I want it to be because I'm, like, probably pretty wet, you know? And then once you get to the waist, you're like, holy cow, that, that might be cold, aren't you? It's like, oh, you know, the whole lower half of the body submerged and you feel a little bit more committed, don't you? And a little bit more, all right, I think I'm in here, yeah? But there's still that part, isn't there, where you have to, like, allow your feet to be taken off the ground, where you kind of relinquish control and where the shoulders and the water hits the head, sending all the senses racing, yeah? And uh, when we go on holidays, Rachel was uh, quite, um, she had like, uh, like really bad eczema when she was a child. You know, she couldn't actually go into the water too much. She's not the best swimmer in the world. 
She'll not thank me for telling you. But anyway, so when we go, it becomes a great excuse when we go on holidays as a family and she doesn't want to get into the water, you know, and, um, and so she like all, you know, dip her toes in and she'll maybe go into her ankles or her knees and she'll give a, ooh, it's cold. And I was like, it's not cold, it's fine once you're, once you're in, yeah? Um, and um, and I, I just, um, I think sometimes just picturing this scene um, where we are in it would be, would be helpful for us. And in the midst of all of this, it finally comes to a river that it says you couldn't cross. You can't work out how to get across it anymore because once you get into it, it's going to take you somewhere. And, um, and the angel, of, of the, the angel, the man, the angel in the story, asked the people, asked Ezekiel, do you see this? Do you, do you see this? Notice what's going on here. Not, not, not just what I've described in terms of the increase in depth of the river, but do, do you notice something quite counterintuitive about this picture? Because this river gets deeper the further it goes from the source. That doesn't usually happen, does it? Like if you start your hose at your top of your lane and or your driveway or whatever, and the water comes out of the hose, by the time it gets to the bottom, it's more of a trickle at the bottom than it was at the start. Now, right, because the water starts to seep into the ground and trickles off in different directions. And so that's how it would happen in the natural, but it seems like this is the opposite. This one, though, is a trickle at the start, and by the time it gets to the end, it's a flowing river, and it's going to flow into the Dead Sea, which we'll come to at the minute. So do you see this? Do you notice this? Are you aware of this? Do, do you see what the river of God is like? The further you go into this river, the deeper it becomes, and the more you get lost in it. And so there's a case of, there's a case of do you see what you have just seen regarding the way this river flows? Have you just seen this? And then I think he's also saying, do you see where it flows to? So do you see how it flows? Like it gets deeper as it goes. But then he says, do you see where it flows to? It flows to the Dead Sea. What, what's the, the Dead Sea? The Dead Sea is kind of like one of the wonders of the world. There's nothing really like it anywhere else. It's 1,400 feet below sea level. And so every other mineral around it flows into it. It can't get up high enough to flow out because everything flows into it. And it's so heavy with minerals that nothing lives in it. Nothing. It's called the Dead Sea because it's, guess what? Dead. Nothing lives in the Dead Sea. It's one of the most unusual places on the earth. Do you see this? Do you see this? Do you see that the river of God is bringing life to dead places? Do you see that the death of this sea doesn't actually contaminate the life of the river, but the life of the river infuses and contaminates, if you want to put it like that, the death of that sea to bring life? Fresh water would usually be contaminated by salt. If you had a glass of fresh water, which is here, and you put a glass of salt beside it and you poured them into one another, the salt would contaminate the fresh water. But in the river of God... It's the opposite, almost supernaturally. The life of God touches the Dead Sea, heavy with the minerals that are in it, and infuses it with life. Yeah. Do you see this? This is the river 
that starts with a trickle. By the time it gets to the Dead Sea, it's flowing, it's deep, and when it gets to death, it brings life. It's an amazing picture. Amazing picture of the river and the life of God. And, and in just a few more comments before, before I make uh, some implications, I think, for you guys. To order, in order to understand this, study, this, this story and this passage even more fully, you have to kind of know a little bit about the temple because that's where it flows from, right? So just a few more minutes, kind of biblical, theological kind of basis for what we're trying to say. The temple was the place that represented the reality that God wanted to dwell with his people, right? It was the kind of visible thing that helped people remember that God wanted to dwell with his people. This is because this has always been God's desire, to dwell with his people. He's never wanted to just to believe in him. He's wanted us to be in him. He's wanted to manifest his presence amongst us always. It's never not been about that, ever, in the story of God. We've been created for him and from him. We're supposed to love in him and from him to enjoy his presence and to enjoy his self-giving love. But even though man sinned, and we know the story, through his own independence and his own disobedience and broke and affected and corrupted the intimacy that God and man enjoyed in the Garden of Eden. God still pursued him and tried to show humanity how to still have relationship with this holy God. And so he did this through a people, the people of Israel. And when he delivered them from Egypt, he brought them into the promised land and he set up a big tent called a tabernacle. And he said, because I want to, what? Shout down from heaven? How you doing down there? Hope you're getting on all right. No, he wants to dwell amongst his people. He wants his glory to come and be amongst his, his people. This was a place where heaven and earth met. The Ark of the Covenant and the Holy of Holies represented the hot spot on the earth where the manifest presence of God resided. And that temple, tabernacle, I can't get into this too much today, right? But if you were to go into it, which we'll not do, all the designs of it, all the artifacts of it, all the way that the embroidery was done, all the pictures on it, all the art, art, artist, artistry, that's the word I'm in it, it actually points back to Eden, right? And it also points to the future when God will fill the earth with his presence. In a sense, it was like a mini and a microcosm of the whole cosmos, filled with the glory of God. That's why in the embroidery, there's all sorts of stuff around creation and the sun and all of that kind of stuff because God was trying to tell his people, what I'm doing here in the desert in a big tent is what I want to do someday through all the earth, through you. That's what he was saying to the children of Israel. And the tabernacle would eventually then, in the story of Israel, become the temple, like a fixed structure under Solomon. And in the middle of Jerusalem, um, they would have the temple, and this would be for the Jews and for the people of Israel, a real sense and uh, uh, focus of their identity, and any success was going to come from this place. And so while they built a temple, they, they loved it, even though, even though, and this is crucial, God still implied in the Old Testament, you're going to build me this, which is great, but he said, where is this house you will build for me? God said through, through the prophet Isaiah, have not my hands created all these things? So God said, it's kind of great that you want me to build a temple. You want to build a temple for me. I'm going to come and reside in that temple. But remember, it's a broken and a contrite spirit that I want because I, I fill it all anyway. See, you're never going to just squeeze me into this kind of house. I, I will come and reside. But God is always implying that it's about hearts, 
Yeah, even in the Old Testament, the eyes of the Lord go through the whole earth looking for what? A temple? No, looking for hearts that are committed to him. And yet, because of their constant rebellion, the people of Israel, as we talked about, got captured by the enemy, taken into exile, Jerusalem destroyed, the temple desecrated. And it's into this context that Ezekiel gets this vision of a temple. And... Um, and when we read the chapters before, you're just going to have to take my word for it this morning, unless you've studied it yourself, right? The book of Ezekiel, is that this temple was a glorious temple. That's described. It was like a perfect temple. It was like the ideal temple that you could imagine, filled with the glory of God. And there were many who believed that this temple meant that when the children of Israel got back from exile to Jerusalem, that then that this temple would be rebuilt, and that would be their glory. And when they did come back from Israel, or sorry, from exile to Jerusalem, they did try to rebuild the temple. And it was kind of aggrandized and made bigger and better and all of that. But the reality is, by the time you get to the Old Testament, it's kind of like an anticlimax. The prophets would say, the latter glory isn't like the former glory. It just hasn't kind of wet up the way that they thought it was. And so the scene is set for Jesus to enter the scene and Jesus comes to fulfill Israel's vocation. Everything that Israel essentially failed at, Jesus succeeded in and came to show them in an embodied person, God himself in the flesh, what Israel's vocation always was, was to be, which was to be a light to the nations. In fact, when John says in his gospel about the Word was with God and the Word was God and all of that, and then later on said, and the Word became what? Flesh and dwelt amongst us. The word in the Greek is the word tabernacled amongst us. So this whole theme right through the Old Testament, God is coming in and of himself to dwell amongst mankind as the new embodied locus and presence of God, like the living walking ark of the covenant in a person. And so in John chapter 2, when Jesus says, see this temple, you could like, you could like, you know, raise it down in three days and then rebuild it. And all, 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 the, all the Pharisees and all, they're going, are you nuts, Jesus? Do you realize how long it took us to rebuild this thing? And Jesus said, but something new is happening. Something is happening that the temple can't fulfill. And the fulfillment of that is in me. Because he was going to go to the cross, die for the sins of the world, rise from the dead, and going to bring everything that was dead to life. Jesus was going to go around looking for dead things to bring them back to life. And one day, what we're moving towards is the day when everything that has been dead because of sin and brokenness and all of that is going to be made new. Behold, we heard this morning, I am making all things new. And so it's in all of that context that when Ezekiel is seeing this beautiful temple and talking about a river flowing through it, I don't believe he's talking about a physical structure. I feel like first and foremost he's saying that this temple is fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ. If we want to see the glory of God, it says in Corinthians, it's in the face of Jesus Christ. It's a perfect temple and it's a glorious temple and it's an ideal temple because Jesus is perfect and beautiful and glorious. And this temple is, is in him, and the river is flowing from his presence. And it goes even further 
to say in the New Testament when Paul says to the Corinthians, I'll not take time to turn to it, just take my word for it. You'll maybe recognize it when I say it. 1 Corinthians 3 says, don't you know that you yourselves are God's, what, temple? Don't you know? It's a bit like in the prophecy of the, in Ezekiel, isn't it? Do you see this? Now Paul's saying, don't you know that this temple now, this glorious, perfect, ideal temple that Ezekiel is talking about, it's really remarkable, this, isn't it? Where is it now? It's in us. It's in us because of Jesus and what he's done for us because Jesus is in us. Like, like just that in itself today is like, like that's, it's just enough to go home and like, like be baffled about all day, isn't it? That the temple that we're talking about here is residing in us, that we are God's temple. And we're moving towards the day when all of the earth, right, is going to be filled with the presence of God. So what I would like, put it like this, that the vision of Ezekiel's temple is inaugurated in Jesus through us, his people, moving towards the day when it will be fully consummated, when the whole earth will be filled with the presence and the glory of God. Which is why Jesus then would say in John chapter 7, when he stood up on that last day of the feast and he said, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Right? And then he says this, whoever believes in me has the scriptures have said, and get this, rivers of living water will flow out of them, from within them. And so this river that we see in Ezekiel chapter 47, it starts like a trickle, but it's flowing and getting deeper and deeper and deeper in and through the person of Jesus, it's now being released in you from the depths of who you are. And from the depths of this community, a river is flowing. And Jesus comes to speak and to prophesy and to unlock that. And I'm here today, I think, to serve you in the best way I can to tell you this, right? The river is still flowing. And in Redeemer Central, the river is still flowing. And there's been a lie going around, right? in your own heads at times maybe, or in our own lives. And there's been a lie going around from the enemy that's saying this river is drying up, that this river is only a trickle, that this river's maybe not overflowing. And I'm here today to tell you that that is a lie, right? And that the truth is that the river is flowing and it's not getting less and less. It's getting more and more. It's moving. It's flowing, and it's getting deeper and deeper. Jesus is walking into the room this morning, and he's turning the taps back on, right? And the river of God is flowing and wants to flow more and more in your heart. He wants you, if you've checked out of the river for a while, if you've kind of taken yourself just onto the banks because it's all felt like a bit tough, it's time to get back in the river. And it's time to maybe even move up that next thousand cubits. Because the, 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 the enemy, and words that have been said, and words that have been spoken over your life, and maybe even over your church, have made you feel like you're actually retreating. And God says, no, the river's still flowing. And wherever this river flows, it gets deeper. 
and wherever it goes, it actually brings life. And uh, this river, this river is carrying life. That's the beauty of the new covenant. You see, in the old covenant, where they had kind of clean and unclean stuff, anything that was unclean, when it touched something that was clean, it infused it with uncleanness. So when Jesus comes and touches lepers, and he's showing us something new is happening now, when the clean stuff, when the pure stuff, when the stuff that flows from Jesus touches the unclean stuff, actually it gets infused with cleanness. And we just need to approximate ourselves around that. And so I just almost, if it's all right, I kind of want to prophesy today that the river is flowing here and it's for all kinds of fish. <laughs> it's for all kinds of fish. It's... It's for swarms of living creatures. It's like the med. What about that for a word for you today? Like, it's like the Mediterranean Sea here, right? But that's what God wants to do. He wants the river of God to flow. So it's not like a dead sea, but it's like the river. And I feel like as we draw this to a close now, that the Holy Spirit wants to, he wants to refresh some of you guys as we finish today. Because he wants his river to flow, his river of life. He wants it to bring life to everything that's dead. But there's a few dead places in you that he wants to release and unlock from your innermost being to bring life to you. I feel like there's some of us carrying, like, I'll put it like this, like a residue of disappointment, a residue of brokenness, a residue of death. And Jesus wants, Jesus wants to come wash it away today. And he wants to take you into a deeper place in the river. For some of you, it may feel like it's just a trickle at the moment. Here's the good news. If you surrender to it, it'll get deeper. But the enemy wants to tell you it's going to dry up. But if you surrender to this river, it'll take you deeper and deeper and deeper. It's time to get back in. It's time to get back in the river. And as I was thinking about this just in the last day or so, you know, well, I think about this, you know, the structures and the architectures and the institutions and the things that are being built around this place, right on your riverbank. Right? You know, because it said that the, there's trees of life on that riverbank. And what if, what if God is actually way ahead of you sometimes? And he's planting some things in the riverbanks so that the river of God that's flowing here can bring life and bring fruit, fruit trees with all kinds of life. But it starts with us getting back into the river, opening up our hearts to the river of God to flow. And the river is in Jesus. And Jesus is in you. And so you are the temples that the river is flowing in and flowing through. And as we finish this morning, I just feel the Lord, the Lord wants to unlock and activate in your deep, deep spirit a fresh flow of the river of God. It's the perfect, ideal, glorious temple because Jesus is perfect and glorious and beautiful and rich in love and mercy and compassion and all those things. And he just, he's just, he's just wanting to release that river. 
Release the river of the Spirit. Out of your innermost being will flow rivers of living water. In the book of Hebrews, it says this. We are not, we do not belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed, but to those who have faith and are saved. You do not belong to those who shrink back, but to those who have faith and who are saved. And I feel like that's what the Lord just wants to release in the room as we kind of close things this morning. And so maybe the band would come gently, would you? And just um, get ready to play and to lead us. Why don't we just take a moment to respond to the Lord? We're going to have communion. And I know we're kind of out of time here, but just as we feel like the Lord just wants to do some things, maybe in some people's lives, as we finish So as we think of this glorious temple personified in the person of Jesus and we think of his glory, you know, the reality is the glory of God is seen in the person of Jesus and through his death. It's called, it's called Good Friday because when Jesus is hanging naked and bleeding on a cross, forgiven the ones that drove the nails into his hands as they're doing it we see the goodness and the glory of who God is the glory of God reveals the goodness and the character of who God is and we see the ultimate demonstration of God's goodness at the cross and in these emblems that you're invited to take because it's Jesus' table this morning the Lord's table. It's not my table, and as the guys model so beautifully here, it's not the church's table, it's the Lord's table. And and as you're invited to come to the table this morning, you're invited to taste of the ultimate goodness displayed in and through the person of Jesus, through his body broken and through his blood shed. And as we come this morning to take of the bread the take of the cup I want to pray that you would also feel a fresh release and unlocking of the river of God in and through your life